The ground shivers in revulsion. The skies turn the colors of a livid bruise, and the air is rent by screams of horror and ecstasy. The Hedden Knights of Slanesh, a carnival of blades and cavorting bodies, have embarked upon a new voyage. It will lead them to a myriad of battlefields, a thousand forbidden pleasures, but it will always end in torment. These corrupt sensualists seek to bring deadly excess to the dull and brutish denizens of the mortal realms. To them, the domains of the Seine are a canvas upon which to paint a tableau of gore-soaked madness. The Hedonites are the faithful devotees of Slanesh, god of obsession and excess. In the Age of Myth, their deity was undone, captured by the Pantheon of Order. The Hedonites cried out, gnashing their teeth and clawing at themselves in grief. Some secretly relished the intensity of feeling brought about by their god's desertion. Others began searching for him, the mounted hunt for the Dark Prince being but one more form of excess, an endless bacchanal of war waged at dizzying speeds. Still more continued to conquer and despoil in Slanesh's name, hoping their acts of devotion would empower him to break free from whatever held him. The most presumptuous of his warlords now seek to take his place, in doing so becoming gods themselves. It's a claim that they can back up with true majesty, Woe to those who deny them that which they desire. All of Slanesh's followers believe, with a feverish certainty, that their kind will rise again. They preach that there will be a reckoning, one that will see Slanesh ascendant in the great game and reshape the mortal realms that have held him prisoner for so long. And they intend to bring it about, even if they have to slit the throats of every living being to do so, and dance across their corpses until the stars themselves die out. Welcome to the Garage U Tools. For the next few hours or thereabouts, we will do our best to keep you informed, entertain, and perhaps have a laugh or two along the way, bringing you invaders, pretenders, and godseekers. I'm Alex Gonzalez. And I'm overloaded with stuff! Holy mackerel, the overload from the stuff that goes on in this book. Oh, yeah. plus I've been trying to build Warcry, and I got my Trogdor, and my Death Path, and my uh, uh, Frozen Hell. So I got all this. I got, I got three different things that I kick-started a year ago all showed up this week. Hmm. Wee-woo! Overload. Sensory overload. See, it's appropriate for the thing we're doing today. Yes. See where I'm going with that? I see where you're going. Just don't like where you're going. Oh, great. That's fantastic. Thanks. Good to know. Oh, you're welcome. <laughs> All right. How you doing, Alex? Um, I'm doing okay. I'm a little under the weather. Uh, for those that cannot tell by the difference. Um, but yeah, no, other than that, I'm okay. Uh, a little rough around the edges, but how about you? I'm uh, I'm getting by, hey man, every day in every way, getting better and better. Got to keep telling yourself that, man. Got to keep telling yourself that. So, uh, why don't we just move this along? We got a lot to do today. We do, and not a lot of time to do it. Nope. Um, so, as you always, could say we got a long way to go and a short time to get there. Um, smoking a bandit. Smoke, smoking a bandit. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Forget it. Let's just thank the sponsors. God bless America. Probably should. 
Uh, so, as always, we need to take a moment to thank the sponsors of Garage Hammer, which include Chaos Orc Superstore. Chaos Orc Superstore. Chaos Orc Superstore. Six Squared Studios. Six Squared Studios for all your MDF and basing needs. Oh, and before we move on, guys, don't forget about the contest. Contest. Alex, remind me to talk about the contest before we end the show. Dave. Yep. Talk about the contest before we end the show. Fantastic. We are in sync. Good. No, no, no. Boys to men. A, B, C, B, B, D. Sorry. Um, let's just keep going with this. <laughs> and Lindsay's Gamer Garrison in Wakanda, Illinois. Not that Lindsay and not that Wakanda. <laughs> I'm going to bring out all the weird references today because I'm going to try to stimulate all the different parts of your brain. Just like a Slaneshi Hedonite. Which I don't get head night. I thought it was heat nights, and then everyone said head nights, and I don't know if that's just British uh, pronunciation. I think that's the British pronunciation. I think it's supposed to be, you know, like hedonism. Yeah, so that's, yeah exactly. Hedonites. That's what I said, but then I literally heard the people who wrote it call it head nights, and now I'm like, I gotta call it head nights. Well, cause... they're they're British. I know, but I like the British, so that's okay. Mm, but I don't know. It's just it's a word. Realistically, it's just slanesh. And that should be enough. (laughs) All right. And on top of our sponsors, I would like to say thank you to the patrons over at Patreon. Folks, thank you so much. If you are part of the almost 1% that make this show happen all the time, including all the cool stuff that's coming up, I'd like to thank our associate producers, Phil Elliott, Dwight Sims, Christopher Sanders, and AJC. AJC. And our newest patrons, Jan Hovick and Adam Lee. Thank you guys for just for going to patreon.com slash garagehammer, looking at what we do there and saying, I want to be part of the 1% who make this show possible. So thank you guys very much. And if you anyone else is interested, you can do the same thing. Go to patreon.com slash garagehammer. Also, Alex, did you know we have voicemail? Really? We do. How do we have voicemail? See, you. I tell you this every show, and every show you don't remember. I'm starting to think you're that guy from Memento, but that's okay. We have voicemail, and if you dial 1-757-GH-SHOW-6, that's 1-757-GH-SHOW-6, you too can leave a voicemail on the voicemail line for us, and it could get played on the show. Um, we did get a few voicemails. Uh, most of them were of the uh, contest variety, so I'm not playing them now. Uh, and plus, I want to really, really want to jump into this book. Um, folks, this is the Head Knights of Slanesh lore episode. So if you're looking for rules and stuff, that'll be out in a couple of days. Um, it, depending on what happens, it'll either be two days or about five days. Uh, depends on if we can get this out before we go to Domus's tournament. Yes, which is Midwest Meltdown. Yeah, that is this weekend. Um, I'm excited. Yeah, it's your first one, isn't it? Yes, it is. And don't forget to bring the dragon. It's already packed. Yes. Don't forget Warcry. I won't. I'm. I gotta try. I'm working on building it tonight when we're done recording. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. Oh, I'm so excited. Oh, yes. we have so much to talk about with that stuff, dude. Next episode is gonna be just tournament coverage and Warcry stuff, and I'm. I'm. Dude, I am super stoked. And we never even got our campaign going for the last thing, the Forbidden Power, or whatever. What was it? What just came out that we did? That forbidden the, Power. Yeah, it was Forbidden Power. So much comes yeah, out. Yeah, it was. Yeah, I got a message from Brandon today. He's like, dude, I got a thousand points of, of beasts built. He's like, I, were we going to do this campaign or not? I'm like, oh, crap. I, yep, I'm hoping so. 
there's so much happening. There is. I'm like all over, and I'm not even caffeinated. That's where this show is going because I'm stimulated to the max because that's the way you should be when you're doing this book. That's what I'm thinking. Well, I know you agree with me. YouTube show. (laughs) It's not that kind of stimulation. Buddy, this this is slanesh. I'm still trying to keep it at least, you know, Family, tell me I'm wrong. Friendly. Tell me I'm. Wrong. I know what you're saying, but I'm trying to keep it at least PG-13 for those people like me who have kids in the car while they're listening to this. So, all right. Oh, okay. You know what? Let's not even take a commercial break. Let's jump into this because no. I am excited. Plus, since we split it into two episodes, we actually split the commercials up over two episodes, so we are going to have um, longer going between the breaks. All right, Chaos Battle Tome. Um, I like the cover. The crazy little demon on it. Uh-huh. Okay, and let's okay. Let's address the uh the elephant in the room. Forever people said they weren't even gonna release this army simply because they're trying to because the army is not very fa- family friendly. And parts of, it are not. parts of it are not. Um the fact that they just went and literally made them half male, half female. So that instead of always having one uh, one breast out <laughs> on some of the models, they just have one covered up and the other side exposed, but it's like more of a male chest. Um, and they did that with a lot of these things. Uh, that's Honestly, that's a pretty clever way, I think, to approach it. You know, you can still keep the different parts, all the, you know, trying to be all the different things, getting sensations from all the different areas. Um I think they did a great job with this model line while making sure that they weren't doing anything that might be uh, unfriendly. Too graphic? Yeah, too graphic. I mean, there's some stuff that is. I mean, obviously the fiends um, seem to have that exposed, but that seems to be it. It's not like every model. Uh, And I think it's also done for taste of art as opposed to... Look, here's a boob. Yes. Yes. Um, yes. So it's not done in a graphic or like over the top way. It is more artistic as opposed to just nudity for sake of nudity. Right. Uh, so I think if they had gone that direction, we would be having a different conversation. But right. They didn't. Um, no, they did a pretty cool job. And now I know some people, I mean, they didn't the models used to be. Like the uh, didn't the really old demonettes have like non demon faces? Like weren't they more? Uh, they were a lot more feminine. Um, whereas, and then they had these massive crab claws, right? For some of the older ones, but the Juan Diaz ones were like demons with lithe hair and like a single horn and exposed breasts, and then there were some with six breasts exposed. Um, or three, one side. Um, okay. There was a lot of um, boobage on some <laughs> of those old models. Um, but they, they weren't like as androgynous as the plastics now. Right. So, But I like that you know they're supposed to be alluring and all that, and the book goes through that whole thing. Yeah, they look alluring until the moment that you see through the illusion from all the musk and all that stuff, and then you're getting your face chopped off. It's like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah. So, what do you think of now? Since we're purely talking lore, 
What did you think of this? Like, did you? Did, I mean, sometimes they go really deep, and there's a lot of cool revelations, and sometimes it's just like, oh, this is mostly stuff I know. How did you feel after going through this one? Um, they filled out what happened, like in a more specific detail, mm-hmm. with the especially with the caging of Slanesh, and then the the three divisions of his legions: the invaders, pretenders, and uh, god seekers. They kind of filled that out a bit more and gave them a little more substance because when they first came out, it was like, well, it's Slanesh, he's gone, and here are the three factions, but it didn't really make a whole lot of sense. Um, It's like, why is this an invader? Why is this a pretender? Why is this a seeker? But now they've really given them the purpose and the explanation as to why they do what they do and why they are so different. Right. I like that. We also got a cup. There's a couple of like, like you said, the, the chaining of Slanesh, what Slanesh is doing right now, all fascinating. Mm-hmm. But there were a couple of drops in this book where I was just like, "This is so important." Like I'm, uh, like I, you could have written a whole book off of just this paragraph. Like, and there's a couple of things I marked in here that we're going to talk about that I'm just like, "Whoa, this is, this is fantastic." Um, I really like it. It. it it made me want to play Slanesh, and I've never really had an urge to play Slanesh. Mm-hmm. Like, almost ever. Like, I know I bought some back when I was collecting uh, Chaos in general back in, like, 8th, because you could mix up, you know, the factions and stuff like that. Um, I know you can still do it now, but I meant where they had rules and it was all one demon's book, you know? Yeah. But I never I never even built... I, I wound up just literally selling the boxes of models I bought. I never built a thing. Um, it was never really my my desire. I kept the Nurgle stuff and I built the Nurgle stuff, but this stuff I was like, meh, meh, not interested. Um, and I read that I went through this. I'm like, I, this would be cool to play. Like I kind of got excited about it. Now I'm just talking lore wise, like reading this, you know, you know, like when you read a cool black library book or you, especially if you're into, into the 40 K at all. And you read some of the 40 K books, you're like, no, I want to go build an army for them. Cause they're just so awesome. That That's kind of how I felt after this. Yeah, and this was a fun book to work on from like a rules perspective as well, because we tried to keep it as close to the narrative as we could for a lot of the rules and different abilities. Um, so we really tried to focus a lot on that, mm. um, even though there is some dalliance later, uh, especially with the depravity points. But uh, <laughs> we'll come to that when we get there. All I know is somebody posted some tournament that happened recently where the top three places were all. Oh, that was Ren Four in Ohio. Ah, yeah, because didn't didn't uh, Relian take uh, take? Yeah, he won that one, right? Yeah, he took a uh, sixteen model army, um, and I think he killed like eleven thousand. I saw that it was ten thousand something. Yeah, ten. Um, but his army was also six models. Six, or 16 models. 16. Or no, 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 no. 21 models. 21 models. 21 models, yeah. Yeah, it was three units of Hellstriders and six characters. Yeah, there you go. Took some filth. Won the t- hey, at least he doesn't have to walk home. No. No, <laughs> no. Andrea Andrea went two and three. Al went four and one. So kudos to Al. Nice. It's, yeah. Um, but no, regardless. And then Tyler, um, I think he got second best painted with the ghosts. So... Uh, that Detroit club is just hardcore, man. I mean, that's 
they they don't play. Like, yeah, <laughs> you know what I'm saying. No, they they play. They just oh. play very well. Yeah, right, right, right. All of them, without exception. No, yeah, so. no, it's they they are a heck of a club. Kudos to those guys because they did a really great job. And gals. Yep. Um. So. All right, so you get this great introduction to this and I don't want to go through and read every single part and I've done a lot of writing down and, and highlighting of this stuff but the opening is I think parts of this are important uh, and basically for one reason I mean we all know that you know Slanesh Army is all about sensation stimulation the more extreme the stimulus the better um, and they do outrageous stuff like everything has to be crazier and and more intense than the last time in order to please Slanesh but he's gone so but they're still doing these things in fact they're trying to do it more so than they used to because they're hoping that this will lend him the power to get himself free from wherever it is and the best part in here, it says, literally, they will lend power. They are hoping that their perfection of their unrestrained behavior, they will lend power to their God, eventually setting him free. And though it may be a horrifying thought, they are right. Um, the other thing that they say here right in the intro, which I thought was fantastic, is now it's it's almost like uh, when the Eldar uh, were building the webway and then it got screwed up and broken into. Now that they've got him trapped into this between area, if he can get himself free from there, he's got uh, basically a direct path to the elves if he can get mm-hmm. free. Um, he can literally turn his prison around on them and make it his way in to get all of them. So there's there's a lot on the line. And this is all in the first paragraph of of the lore of this book. I thought this was great. Yes. Um, was there anything else in this intro? I'm on like four and five that you wanted. I mean, there's a few points I wanted to hit, but I didn't know if anything stood out to you that you wanted to discuss. Um, no, that was the big one was in really like how I think in general, it got away because like everyone. Okay. A lot of the internet just assumes that Slanesh is just the sex part of chaos, um, but it's really not. They definitely steered this more into excess which is what it really is yeah he's the god of excess and when they start pointing out all the different ways this is there i mean there's there's cool stuff here Mm -hmm. um anybody in fact uh it says here those who regularly indulge their secret vices unwittingly empower slanesh and are but a hair's breadth from worship whether intentional or not if there's anything that you do too much eating drinking smoking praying um running uh, exercising, gaming, painting, anything that you do too much is an invitation for these guys to get in. Anything, if you're too proud, too humble, too, you know, too uh, too reckless, too safe, he can take that and push you over the edge into something ridiculous um, every time. And it's amazing. Yeah, because this is about obsession excess and the pursuit of perfection and whatever it is that they're going towards. So we always talk about like how corn is powered by, you know, war because that's what he is. And Zinch is magic or change, but 
that requires like a specific act. With Slanesh, it's a lot more subtle. And it's just the things that you take for granted as opposed to the actual things you're doing. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's not like it's not like an overt act. This is just you're doing something that a lot of people would consider mundane, but then it is empowering and is that close to damnation. Right. No, it's... I really like where this is going. Even right now, Mm -hmm. this far in the book. Um, They bring up a couple uh, bits about how... um, you know, then they keep pushing and you become more and more obsessed with it. And then you need to hi- you feel shame and you feel the need to hide it. And when it gets to the point where you're going to protect your vice at the cost of uh, killing somebody, then you're past that point of no return. So much great stuff here. Um, you know, and if you do well, he, you know, grants you mutations and stuff. That's all stuff we've seen. Um, but then we get into this for these couple of parts here. Um, they talk about indulgence given form. Um, and what I think is here is it says all demons are formed from the same spiritual essence as the deity they serve. One can get a glimpse of the beautiful yet repugnant nature of the dark prince by witnessing the creatures that serve him. I'm like, okay, that's interesting. And then they start talking about. Uh, when they take these creatures and they go to war. And this is where you see it. You can find extreme terror, agonizing pain, fiercely burning hope, and bloodlust. Like, even hope, that fierce hope, is it's an extreme emotion. They feed off of it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's almost scary how much, um, how, how wide and varied. Like, corn goes for blood. That's pretty much it. Blood and skulls, right? And Nurgle for decay and Zinch for all of his plans and changes. But anything you do too much, anything you do more than you should, anything you feel more than you should empowers Slanesh. Like, he gets power from almost everything, it seems like. Yeah, but somehow he's usually the bottom rung on the ladder. Uh Uh-huh. Which doesn't make any sense. Um, yeah, well, remember it used to, like as you pointed out, it used to people used to sort of focus on the on the more sex aspect and and not as much on the excess. And it always that it always the excess always seemed to be like excessive partying and cavorting and and uh, you know um, just more of a excess of of pleasures of the flesh. Where the book is now saying it's excess of anything. Yeah. Um. One of the strangest and most unsettling aspects of the head knight is that they are somehow alluring to the mortal eye. Um, those who prove themselves weak-willed find themselves stumbling half days into the waiting arms of the head knights, believing they'll be experiencing a pleasure like no other. And then to the head knight, the screams elicited by the terrible revelations are the sweetest music. Because, yes, the musk and all that stuff, when these guys, it, it literally, it first of all, it clouds their mind. It takes their mind off of any sort of fighting that would go on. And they, they actually somewhere later in the book says that they look beautiful to you no matter what you're... They look like the thing you would most want them to look like. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't matter your race. That's your why gender. they have to be that like androgynous look. Yeah. And then if you can see through it, it's horrifying. But... Um, but so many don't until it's too late, and you come stumbling up to them, and next thing you know, they they put their claws around your neck and cut off your uh, your favorite your favorite head. Mm-hmm. Um, 
then we get into they talk about the deity slanesh, and there are two parts in here that I think are important: the first paragraph and the last two paragraphs. You want to take either one of these, Alex? You want to take the first one, or you want to take the last one? Uh, or do you not uh, care? No, I, as long as we just go, just go. <laughs> long ago, when the dreaming cultures of the realm spheres took form. The glimmering potential of the mortal realms attracted the eyes of a wanton god. That entity was Slanesh. At the point, grown powerful beyond measure on a stolen ambrosia of elven souls. At the time, the shattering of the world that was, Slanesh glutted himself on the spirits of that ancient race to the point that only a pitiful few survivors escaped his hunger. He was all but incapacitated by the act of gorging himself so deeply, where once he might have savored each sinful soul that fell into his clutches by eating so many millions of spiritual essences at one time, he became vast and swollen, well beyond the limits of Korn's rage, Zinch's machinations, and even Nurgle's cosmic corpulence. Yet still, Slanesh longed for more, always more. His appetites could never be sated, just as the stars would never cease to burn. I think this is important. It's yes. just that devouring made him big. He, he was beyond all three of his brothers. At yeah. that point, just so swollen power, but it was like it was like Thanksgiving. The dude tripped to feigned out and like had to go uh, loosen the belt buckle and go sit down. But like, it was never enough. And if you no. read it, it's like this is more than just conquering the old world. This is now you have new eight new realities that you can now take over, and they're linked oh, yeah. to each other with the realm gates. So, and those are the different futures that he can go to, to corrupt in his own image. Um, and they did talk about like he became this overarching god that took over. Um, so he was more powerful than the brothers. So he could do the things where you could see the cults of excess, the wanton uh, nature just goes off everywhere until they trap him. Um, so it's like he could have taken the realms by himself had he had enough time, I think. Yeah, it literally, there's a part here. Uh, here was enough fodder to pass several eons of decadence without once falling into repetition or ennui. I'm like, oh, my. Like, this is, there's some great stuff in here. And it's like, I just, I keep coming back to as I'm reading this, how they took this, the, the chaos god who seemed the weakest in, I think, I think many people's eyes. I mean, he may be the most fun. He may be your favorite. But honestly, you know, he was never going to whoop corn. He was never going to outmatch Zine. Like he was, he, you know, you, you think of Slanesh, and if you've been playing since before AOS, you think of Sigvald, right? Like Sigvald is like the epitome of being a Slanesh follower, right? The greatest, but the most vain, the most just. And, and then you read this, you're like, whoa, this is kind of crazy like how did he not take over because it was never enough right but it seemed like i mean he would become power in fact that's kind of what goes on here they talk about how he was corrupting things and um you know you got the cities all wrapped up in vice entire societies fell into downward spirals of murderous excess and then they were born a great portion of the mortal realms came to be claimed by him um and I like how they say, uh, yeah, he is lent, Slanesh is lent form and power not by the nature of feelings and desires, but their degree. Everything taken to excess empowers Slanesh. 
He is hence indefinable by mortal standards, and perhaps more so than any other chaos gods, for his form and substance shift upon a whim. And his favorite parts of the mortal realms are the edges, which is the most dangerous part because that's the most magical, and any mortals that go there go crazy or die, and usually both. But Mm -hmm. that's where, because nature and reality is at its most extreme, that's where he loves to, to be. Yeah, and that's where you have the highest concentration of realmstone in addition to all of this. Yep. So just feeding off of all of that energy. Okay. The inevitable truth. This part, I was just like, mm-hmm. um, I don't know if we ever got this much info on Slanesh, like on anything I'd read. No. Um, but this is fascinating. Do you want to read this? Sure. All right. Though Slanesh is arguably the youngest of the Chaos Gods, he was once the most powerful of their number and will be again. He has learned to thrive on being underestimated, using the predictable contempt of Korn, the generous sentimentality of Nurgle, the treachery of the Horned Rat, and the self-defeating complexity of Zinch to his advantage. In their more paranoid moments, his brothers have watched Slanesh's conquest with great trepidation. They secretly fear that their own obsessions empower their brother, for at their simplest and most profound level, the dark gods are the embodiments of all-consuming ideals, mindsets, and emotions. There is always a, sus- a suspicion that the dark prince will rise like a sin-soaked phoenix from the fires of incarceration to one day eclipse them all in power, or worse still, absorb them, making their excesses and obsessions part of his own and subsuming their territory into his sovereign realm. Each of the Chaos Gods tells himself that could never be, but in the darkest nights of the immortal soul, scintillas of doubt glitter even in their black hearts. And with that tiny concession to his supremacy growing within the minds of each of his rival gods, Slanesh's journey to ultimate conquest has already begun. Holy crap. Yeah. Seriously, and I never even thought about that. Corn is so over the top. Zinch is going in both directions, all the every direction, all the time. Nurgle is just wants, you know. I mean, look at him. I mean, you know, all of that feeds Slanesh. And but it's funny because in the early and now, how much of this is being told from their point of view, and maybe it's a little off. Um, you never know how much to take the lore as as canon, and how much to take it as that opinion, because the Corn book has said Corn has been ascendant most of the time. Now, granted, Slinish didn't exist the whole time, as no. long as they did, but Corn is ascendant most of the time because even if you go in and start killing his people, that makes him stronger and he dumps more people. Like I don't know how you could ever wipe out Corn. You know, it always seemed like he would eventually be the the strongest. But then you turn around, and you're like, yeah, but wait, what does he do? Like that just feeds Slanesh and makes him more powerful? Like, the crazier corn gets, the more powerful Slanesh. I'm like, this... I, just, I had to read that twice when I read it. I'm like, they didn't just say this. This is fantastic. No, they did, and it's just like, well, then why didn't he take over? It's because Slanesh is not the biggest for martial prowess, which I think is kind of in the Achilles heel. Um is that he can corrupt and he can turn things over, but he can't beat a lot of these armies of the gods through strength at arms. Is that true, though? Because when you read the other stuff, when they start talking about it, it sounds like he's, he, like, 
I mean, I don't know. I mean, every book tries to make all their units sound well, awesome. But that's no, no. But that's why he made Shalaxi. Oh, okay. Because the near the lore behind her is that she was made to fight and best the greater demons of the other gods. Wait, and did you throw is that the, the, the twins, the, the Celeska? No, that's the the eventual um, whatever it is. Oh, Shalaxi Hellbane. There it is. Yes, got yeah, it. Yeah, Shalaxi. Okay, sorry. Yeah. I I got, I'm, I get their names confused. Yeah, and even the it's picture. Okay. If you look at Shalaxi, there is Shalaxi uh, jumped on to, on the chest of a of a of a corn uh, greater demon, a bloodthirster. And, yep, and just just beating the crap out of it. It looks like that's kind amongst of amongst other things. <laughs> but no, but that's what her purpose is to do that. So, I mean, you are right. I mean, they've never been a super powerful army. They're just a thousand. They're a death by a thousand cuts thing. It would just mm-hmm. think that, it would, you would think that would work on almost anything. But I suppose that if he's all, if he is all powerful, then then you're right. Why didn't he take over so yet? Um, you want to jump on to cap to where he gets gets himself caught? Yeah. Um. All right, capture a god, capture a god. Um, okay, this is. I like this part, and one of the reasons I want to. One of the things I want to talk about is that they do talk about the elves here, and not only how the elves captured him, but there's. A, I, I liked a few parts in here that kind of give you an insight into the elves themselves. Um, it says through enchantments, miracles, and. Oh, wait, they escaped the doom that awaited them in the gullet of Slanesh and reached the realm spheres intact. Through enchantments, miracles, and sorcerous artifice, the elves had made their way into the mortal realms without being changed or diminished in spirit. These determined survivors propagated in the hidden places of the realms, keeping away from the prying eyes of those they saw as lesser beings and teaching their children the values, skills, and cultures of their lost world. Um... And they might not have ever rejoined the wider civilization if Sigmar hadn't shown up and kind of brought them all together. Um, a little bit of that elven arrogance is still there. I thought it was interesting that they just they they basically said, "Well, ah, you know what? Let's just stay on our own. Let's stay out of all this other stuff and just and 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 continue." Um, and then it talks about how you know Alarial, Tyrion, Teclas, and Malarian are all basically became gods. Um. Bound to the elemental forces, they now are. They are one with the with the magic that they that they possess. Which I suppose, if you break the chaos stuff into the eight winds of magic, and then you literally become the living avatar of that magic, and then you go through the realm thing, and then your world is destroyed, and you wind up in one of these realm spheres of magic. I suppose that might change you. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Um, and then basically it's like, Alarial's too busy doing this, so it was going to be Tyrion, Teclas, and Malarian. And then Malarian's like, look who showed up. It's my mom. And they needed her because she had been the only thing that got out of Slanesh. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like this this gamble that would either see the elven survivors safe from his predations or damn their race forever to oblivion. <sighs> So if he gets, are we just saying if he gets free, they're doomed? Because he's just, or is this going to go, if he gets free, it's back to what it was back in the. So the thing is, it's like they're, they prepared for a great gamble. So that's 
the act of trapping Slanesh himself. Okay. Is what they're talking about. And how they do that is through a ritual to, like, chain him, but also he made, or they made themselves as bait. Okay, that that's right, that's right, and that's why, the, that was the risk. They're either going to get him or they're dead. And it actually says here, had they screwed up and he devoured all four of them, that's it. He's at the, he, he, he wins. Yeah. That, that much power from them in him, he goes and whoops his brothers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they even say under the paradoxical trap, it speaks greatly of the vaunting confidence, some would say arrogance, of the elven gods that they put into motion a plan of cosmic scale and ambition. So they use themselves as bait um, to lure the, uh, the Dark Prince out to find that god scent um, that kind of like rekindled the fire of want. Um, but again, it's like we talked about earlier where it's it was never enough. So he was always going to be hungry, but now you have the juiciest of morsels being yeah. left out. So he finds them in Ulgish, um, which is the hidden gloaming. So that's the sub-realm in between light and shadow. Um, and they were ready for him. And they send out these nets of web-like energy from the darkest uh, shadow energy fashioned to perfect counterpoint to arithmetic nets of Hishian energy. Um, and it says, every aspect of the sorcerer's trap was a work of genius that only deities with a consummate understanding of the nature of magic could have devised. So it's literally bringing light and shadow together um, when they don't make sense together. Right. This is this. It's, it's it, the way they described it is, is fantastic. They figured out we, and they said they can't kill him. They knew they couldn't kill him with magic, but if they put these disparate magics together, they could build something stronger than the uh, and larger than the sum of the parts there. And, um, and it presented another danger. A danger that even uh, one of the greatest powers in the universe had never thought to guard against. Sixty-six years. They worked on this ritual to get this to get this to happen. Yeah, to get it perfectly. So he's in the paradox of twilight. So in he's perfect a- balance between light and dark. Mm-hmm. The picture on the bottom of the page too, on page eleven, I love it. Mm-hmm. All of the little stones that they had, just just like the old waystones that were around the vortex in the world that was. Yep, and then they got the chains going, and he there he is, sort of in the center. Um, you know what? Let's let's trudge on a little bit more because I do want to get to fiendish paradises, which is a little bit more about his realm, and then we'll get into mm-hmm. the different types and uh, basically the different, uh, you know, the pretenders and the things like that, and the different different rules. Um, fiendish paradises. This this is kind of crazy. Um, this yeah, is, no, this is a Dante's Inferno sort of thing. It is, um, and that is exactly what it reminded me of was the Inferno, because mm-hmm. um, there are six circles, um, with the number of Slanesh being six, obviously. Yeah. Um, but it's the concentric rings, similar to how the Inferno was laid out. Right. Um, Instead of the seventh level of hell, he's got the six circles and then his own palace in the center. Yeah. So, kind of the same thing. Um, 
but the only way you can ever reach the Palace of Pleasure is to pass through all six of the circles, and that is described as an act of will beyond most souls, whether mortal or demonic. So, you've got to go through a whole lot of hell yeah, to get to him. Because as we go through this, I'm, I'm reading this going, this is... The, okay. So you go through the first realm, and the first is avidity, okay? It's greed. You walk through mountains of gold. You're walking through all this stuff. People are there who are not even eating. They're starving to death, but all they're doing is piling up gold because there's more and more gold. And then their pile falls apart, and they start crying and piling it up again. Um, you find out there's all these statues there, and some of those statues you realize where there's footsteps up to that part, these people have just turned to gold, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but, and it says basically at the end, those who so much as touch a single coin with the intention of taking it for their own will be forever damned to join the wretched misers at their feet or the living statues that loom above them. Um and there's some interesting parts here because when you get through that realm, you get to the realm of gluttony. And it says, beyond the strip of land comprised of trillions of golden teeth are the shores of a vast lake of dark wine. Golden teeth. So these misers. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know why their teeth came out, but apparently, like, <laughs> like literally everything turns to gold in there. And they've got just all the, the poor people. I'm, I'm supposing maybe they tried to eat it as they were starving and their teeth came out and then they turned to gold. But it's just... The greed there level is so crazy. And think about that. You're walking through all this stuff, and if you pick up so much as a coin, you're probably stuck. Yeah. But then it's also like it's a transition piece. It's gold and teeth because the gluttony is the act of eating. Right. Um, and that feeding that insatiable hunger. So it's like you have this massive mouth, as it were, around this vast lake of dark wine. Ah. So it's the act of eating, but then it's still the avidity represented. Right. And then you've got all these little islands in it. Um, and this is people eating till the point where they burst. They're, they mm-hmm. just, they, they're, they're, they're never, it says they're calls them the, the wide eyed and desperate in their hunger. No matter how much they eat, the only escape is death to consume so much. So quickly they join the grizzly remains of those who have physically burst apart. Ugh. Yeah. And this is, um, and it says the lake is dotted with pallid islands formed from the backs of giants, each linked uh, by crisscrossing bridges. And like the hands of the giants, like the floating bodies are what holds up the table. They have these feasts upon. And even on the shoreline, there are people that are trying to gulp down the lake themselves. So yeah. it's just nonstop. Oof. And if you manage to get through there without eating all the stuff, you get to the Lake of Carnality or the fields of golden light and soft hay where lithesome and beautiful youths of every race, gender, and form frolic. Um, They're impossibly sensual, molded to match the desires of those who witness them and make their sport amid the hallucinogenic must of the live beasts that cavort with them. Ugh. So, yeah, this this is... Yeah, you just this is the land. This is where people who we'll move on to the next realm. Mm-hmm. I think we all get it. Yeah. So if you go through that, you end up in a paramountcy. I'm not sure I'm saying that correctly. Yeah, paramountcy. Um, you got it. 
Paramountsy. Um, so this is a different, it's like adulation. Um, they, you walk through into the circle and you find themselves emerging on a balcony to be greeted by the roars of adulation and approval. Um, armies so vast, their numbers are beyond counting, stretch across an endless plain, listening in fevered anticipation for their new legion's command of conquest. So this is like just assuming power. Right. But then it turns into the nagging paranoia and gnawing suspicion and doubts. So you kind of like undo yourself even as you try to build yourself up. Yeah, this is your this is somewhere in between pride and envy. In fact, vainglory yeah. next. It's sort of a mix of the both of them. Because mm-hmm. if you get past that, and it says even the people who are applauding you, every, inside their eyes, it's all nagging paranoia, suspicion, and doubt that you are that you actually are the supreme person there. Um, mm-hmm. And then you get to vainglory. This maze of pathways is thick with scented flowers and heavy with thorns. The gentle, fragrant breeze whispers of past glories. A constant reminder of the best and most well-earned victories of the listener's life thus far. And the only way to escape from this circle lure is to think solely on their defeats, their humility, and your ultimate irrelevance. If you can do that, if you could ignore all your good parts and just look at all the parts that show that you really aren't that big in the grand scheme of things... You can get through there. You can get past if you can sw- get past your pride, mm-hmm. and then you get to the the sixth and final realm before you get into his palace. Yeah, so this is indolency. So this is sloth. Um, mm-hmm. It's an endless beach that stretches, um, and its heavenly choir sings soothing lullabies, um, and like your body itself cries out for you to lay down um, and rest and relax. Um, and just let everything go by. It, 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 it's, it's almost it's like a, one of those, you know, when you see those commercials for those beach vacations. Mm-hmm. That's what this is. Or almost like, you know, the, you know or, or the lotus eaters in the, in the, from, uh, you know, from um, the Odyssey and the Iliad. Mm-hmm. It's just, oh, just, just lay down, relax. And then you lay down and you go into a coma and you die. Yeah. And it's literally the, they talk about what the sand is, and it's made from the remains of those who have rested and fallen into a coma of blissful inactivity. It's crazy. And then finally you get to the Slaneshi Palace, um, the impossibly tall fortress atop a slender, twisted pillar of rock. Its living towers entwine like a nest of serpents in some unnatural act of Congress. Of course it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, you got the Temple of Twisted Mirrors and all that stuff where I love it. They reflect one another to the point of infinity. This is his favorite place for the looking glasses distort the image in every conceivable way. For a mortal to gaze into these mirrors, to see themselves reflected over and over to the point of fractal dissolution, to witness a myriad iterations of self and ultimately become no more than a screaming mirage trapped within. I like this. I like the descriptions of his place. It's really bananas. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, basically it's the seven deadly sins minus wrath is the six circles. And, uh, go ahead. I think what, like, like you mentioned, it's the six sin, it's the seven deadly sins. They're carrying out the seventh. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Every time he sends out an army to go and destroy and kill in the, uh, 
in the mortal realms. You don't need wrath in your six circles because wrath is directed outwards. Mm -hmm. Envy, sloth, pride, gluttony, all of that is directed inwards. Even carnality is sort of, it's, it's your, it's your desires. Yes. Yeah. So it's, it it was a clever way to keep it to the six, to keep all the ones that are focused on yourself. Because really, if you go through and you read these, like, if you have the, if you're, if you, you can avoid all of these. Yeah. You can avoid all of these pitfalls if you are sort of pure at heart. If you, you know, I'm not going to steal this. This isn't mine. I don't need to eat all this stuff. Uh, you know what I'm saying? If you can avoid excess, if you're that type of person, you can get through all of this. And then sloth. I mean, it's it's not just not doing things because if not doing things, you get stuck in the last realm of sloth, you know? Um but it, they're all – every one of these traps is a subtle trap that gets a weakness from within. It's not something from without like the other places. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think it's pretty cool. Um, yeah. You want to take a break? And then when we come back, we can talk um, – you know what? Let's do one. Let's go a little out of order. Before we take a break, let's hit the uh, – Let's just do the space timeline because it's the one thing that seems really out of order. Mm-hmm. And then we can talk about his followers and then uh, what's going on with him in chains and then the the, the different legions. Because I think the space timeline we can hit pretty quick. Um, did any of these really stand out to you? I had a couple that I, that I thought was interesting. Um. Not particularly. Really? Okay. I thought the awful symmetry was kind of interesting where they tried to make themselves half, make an exact replica of themselves out of living metal. And then if it didn't work right, they would start rotting and things would start to fall apart. Uh, That trying to make themselves perfect sort of fall apart. Um, I also liked the, the, uh, the one with Vela Angelica. The bored noblewoman who lures a carnival of Slanesh into the mist-shrouded grand city in Ulgu just because she was bored. And once they come, she begins her life as a champion of excess uh, and becomes involved in an escalating war with the daughters of Cain <laughs> just because she was bored. Um, I did like this the story about uh, the uh, Caradron overlords. Did you read? Uh, did you see that one? The Trail to Damnation. Yes, I liked this. This seemed like a ghost story. So they find an ivory palace on a flying carpet of rippling silk, and they can hear this weird music on the wind. And they're they're they know something's up. So they block up all their ears with uh, Dwarden wax and cheese. And so they can't hear the music. So they follow along behind it because it's leaving a huge trail of ether gold. And so they run out there and they get the gold and they're going back. And as they're going back, they're like, dude, send more ships because this this is this is never ending flow of ether gold. The problem is the more they start getting, the more they want. And, they, and it's coming out in such excess. They literally start to cannibalize the skyport to build more ships. They... Take everybody, everybody's on a ship now. There's nobody staying behind. Every source of metal. Eventually, they start taking off their war gear and their armor uh, and and things like, it says in some cases their own flesh just to keep the engines running. Um, 
And then some other Duarden showed up, and then they they were like, "You're not going to steal from us." And they attacked them, and then they got fighting back, and they might have won, except they are their their ears were full of wax cheese, so they couldn't hear the the commands, and they wind up losing the battle. And as they're all destroyed, the gold just disappears. And it's like, oh yeah, look, they, they got suckered by greed. We already knew they they we already know Duarden are 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 susceptible to the gold sickness. Mm-hmm. But for this, they, they thought they had them beat. Not, we're not going to hear your music. That's not how I'm tempted. That's, that was the easy one to avoid. The fact that you just kept coming back to the point of your own destruction. I liked that story a lot. Uh, and then at the very end of the timeline, Marathi's like, Sinesh is getting out. And he's going to get out. And everyone else There's is like, nothing we can do about it. Yep. Well, except, because like Malarian is like, whatever, mom. And Tyrion is just indifference, but Teclis listens, but seeks out her wisdom in secret. Again, why secrets? Well, because Malarian has openly, openly shows open. He, he's like, whatever, you know nothing. So why go and say, look, I think we should go talk to her. Malarian's going to say no. Tyrion is indifferent to her. Tyrion's like, look, she's got information and we can use it, but I, 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 got, I want nothing to do with her. Right, he's indifferent to her, so so he's like, okay, I'm gonna go talk to her. But I'm gonna go talk to her on my own. Like I, I, yes, whenever there's secrets, it always turns out bad. But he goes to talk to her quietly because no one else will, and he's at least smart enough to know. You know what? You could be right. And that's when yeah. um, it even says down at the bottom, um, as Marathi draws ever more scathborn from Slanesh's belly for the war she fervently believes is on the horizon. Teclis begins to gather armies of his own. He amasses the martial orders of the realm of light and invokes ancient pacts with the spirits of Hish to bolter, bolster his gleaming war hosts for the new era of conflict to come. And this came out prior to Forbidden Power. So you have to remember that in the timeline when Sigmar and Teclis have this confrontation at the end of Forbidden Power where Teclis is like, well, you want the armies of Hish to march out and help you. Well, no, no. So, Oh, and that's also, look, we got our own. That's right. See, I didn't read all of this before I read that because I haven't had, oh. So that's where that comes from, though. That's where he's like, no, we got our own troubles. This is the trouble he's talking about. Yeah, you can deal with Nagash. That is your own. That is a demon of your own making. We have to deal with ours. And let's face it, Nagash is not a chaos. I mean, he's immortal, but he doesn't go toe to toe with a chaos god quite yet. Although he tries to get to that point several times. Yes, yes, but yeah. No, that makes sense now. That makes sense. Oh, I didn't think about that. All right. Uh, we've been going almost an hour. Let's break. And then uh, when we come back, we'll talk about the the different factions and how Slanesh is slowly getting free and, most importantly, all the different uh, units that uh, he employs. Lindsay's Gamer Garrison in Wakanda, Illinois. Wow, that's terrible. But they're not. They carry the full GW range for all your hobby cravings, and customers get 10% off their purchases every single day at Lindsay's Gamer Garrison. What makes Lindsay so special? 
Well, there's weekend events for AOS, 40K, Underworlds, Song of Ice and Fire, Star Wars Legions, pretty much every other tabletop game going on, and they've got something there going on almost every weekend. If tabletop gaming is your thing, there's always something happening at Lindsay's. But David, you say, what if I want to support Lindsay's but can't always make it out there? Well, I'm glad you asked. Lindsay's online store makes shopping easy. Just go to lindsaysgarrison.com. That's L-I-N-D-S-A-Y-S, garrison.com, and fill your cart with hobby goodness. Show listeners. You can enter GH Savings at checkout for extra specials and discounts. And did I mention free shipping for orders over 50 bucks? Because, yeah, there's free shipping for orders over 50 bucks. That's like a book in a box or two boxes. It's so easy. That's Lindsay's. And don't forget, enter GH Savings at checkout at lindsaysgarrison.com. That's Lindsay's Game of Garrison in Wakanda, Illinois. That's horrible. I'm leaving it in. And we are back talking about the three different hosts of Slanesh, starting with the Invaders. Yep. Um, these are basically the guys who are out there fighting the battles. They're the ones yeah. who are still out there. Just They're out there fighting the battles and trying to transform the mortal realms, preparing them for Slanesh. Yeah, this is where we were talking about like how um, by engaging in all the acts of uh, excess and violence that you're working on releasing Slanesh. So this is where most of that work is coming from. Yeah. It's their belief that by conquering as much of the mortal realms as they can, this will give him the strength to break out. This is the what was said in the beginning. Yeah. Um, and th- th- you know what? It, it makes sense. This is like when everyone said Slanesh was gone and they're never going to bring him back. I'm like, then why are his demons still around? Right when Aeos first said he wasn't around, I'm like, well, but those demons are an extension of his will. So even if he's trapped and they don't know where he is, he's got to exist because they exist. They can't exist yeah. without him. And that's their whole, that's their reasoning too. It's got to be there somewhere. Um, these guys, um, even in times of peace, they have these little competitions uh, for influence. Everybody wants daddy to love them. And mm-hmm. um, so they're always trying to outdo each other and get to that better place. Um, and, they're, and they're still trying to outdo themselves for a spot, even though he's not there. Yes. Um, and then basically, uh, apparently keepers of secrets are usually the leaders of these hosts. Mm-hmm. Um. Sometimes they can work together, but more often than not, the backbiting and the competing begins, and they're out trying to outdo each other. Um, and if they do get into a, t- it's kind of this is sort of cornesque or cornate. It seems like um, if eventually we're fighting together, and you start to annoy me enough, and I go to war with you, whichever one of us dies, the survivor takes his army. Mm-hmm. So eventually your power base can grow just by taking over other arms. Or, you know what? It's not that different from the Oryx, really. Right. And then eventually you've got dozens. You go, you know, suddenly you go from a Wa to a Great Wa. Um, mm-hmm. But that's, yeah, that's that's the invaders. They're the ones who are just out there still attacking and conquering the mortal realms in his name. Um, yeah. The excess the... on the battlefield 
is good. Yeah, the second paragraph on this, I do want to read that because that really underlies what they're about. Okay. Um, on a wider scale, the invaders are preoccupied with the prospect of capturing territory, then defiling it and corrupting it as they pass. They lay waste to everything in their path, taking pride in the utter desolation they leave behind. This is not done in an unthinking or automatic fashion, like the red wake of those devoted to corn or the repuls- repulsive corpse swamp left in the path of the followers of Nurgle. Instead, it is a work of art, the battlefield, the canvas upon which the invaders sow their tapestry of disaster. I like that. So that is taking your land and then turning it into. And not just essentially your land. the land. Uh, there's somewhere in this book where they talk about after going through the battlefield and killing, how they put the bodies together in different poses mm-hmm. and stuff, or the bits of limbs. They might pile up certain things together to make it look a certain way. It's it's just crazy. It's kind of psychotic <laughs> on a, on a uh, just on a different level from the other gods. And I mm-hmm. and I know I've already said this, but you just you hear so much about Nurgle and Zinch is kind of unknowable, but you get a lot from the you know from the the looking back and looking forward and all the plans and how his own plans screw him up sometimes, which seems weird to me, but whatever. Um, and we all, I mean, Corn's not that hard to understand, you know. But you just never heard much about Slanesh, other than, you know, he was excessive. And that's what, you know, and the more you read this stuff, you're like, wow, it's, it's just, like I said, I can't, I can't say enough uh, about how much I like this book and the guys who wrote, um, the guys who literally wrote the, the lore here, because... There's a depth and dimension to Slanesh that I never saw in in what the almost the about 15 years I've been playing this game almost um I just never saw this before and now I get this I was like this is this is wonderful um pretenders yes the pretenders are obsessed with one thing themselves they are literally pretenders to the Dark Prince's throne. I mean, that's what you really need to know. Um, the truth is, if Slanesh ever does get free, his first act is probably going to be to eat all of them. Yeah, for showing their defiance and wanting for, to take his. Exactly. Oh, you, you're you claiming to be the next me? Nope. Um, and the thing is, if even if they do get powerful enough where they could be a challenge... To the other chaos gods, the minute they get to the point where they could be a threat to any one of them, all three of the other brothers would unite and be like, F you, and they would put that guy down. So I don't think there's any, there's no real risk of any of these guys usurping his place. They're just, they are as delusional as they are extreme. Right. The point is, though, they're powerful and people follow them. Yeah, and it's the same kind of act of devotion um their followers will try to impress them with extreme acts of violence like try to be the right hand or fight next to that like living god uh-huh uh, and really if one of if another pretender meets a pretender they'll fight each other and then it's you either worship this one or we'll cut you down with the rest of them Right, yeah. So. Wh- whichever one of them wins, the other army you can join me, and a lot of th- and most of them do choose to join because obviously, even though they're sad that the one that they, 
uh, we thought he was a god, but he killed him, and he says he's the god, so he must be because he's stronger and he killed this one, so time to go. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and that's that's basically what the pretenders are. And then you get the god seekers. Now, these guys, um, a god seeker assault manifest is a thrashing storm of blades that's all but inescapable. Uh, though these speed-maddened hellions claim to be searching for Slanesh with every thought and deed, in truth they revel in the hunt and would be bereft without it. They are like invaders, but they're saying that the places they're the, the places they're choosing to fight are places where they get a clue that Slanesh may be. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, if you find him and free him, then he'll be his favorite. Um, I like how they talk about the mutations that these guys grow, though. Exaggerated sensory organs. So they have flaring nostrils or raw open nasal cavities, bulging eyes, pointed ears. Um, This only increases their skill as hunters. It allows them to track their prey more effectively. Um, But I I, I think the God Seekers, I like them a lot. Um, I'm not talking about the way they play in the game or any of that stuff in the war section. I'm just talking about these. These are the these are his these are Slanesh's truly devoted. Well, they're the ones that want him and want him back, but then the hunt themselves is a point of excess because they never stop. And right. If you're doing something the point of never stopping. You're just doing Slanesh. Yep. Um. And I love the, the the keepers of secrets who think that the way to his right hand is to free him are the ones that mostly become God seekers. Um, but then it says that they're idiots because um, he Slanesh is a god of excess and change. Why would you be his favorite forever? You wouldn't because he will toss you aside like a bag of moldy tangerines. Um, you know, he's a what have you done for me lately sort of god, you know? Yep. And plus, everywhere they go, he's not there because they're seeking in the mortal realms, and he's not there. Um, but they are getting more and more into Ulgu. Yes. They're starting to realize that it puts, the divine spore of the Dark Prince titillates the mist of Ulgu. So they are calling, they are they are coming more and more to there. Um, yeah, that's that's their that's their that's their gig. And so those are your main three factions. Um, and then we get to this point where they're talking about him, that he's chained. Uh, Slanesh strained against the chains that had burrowed into his essence, feeling every soul extracted by the arts of Tyrion and Teclas as a strand of his essence pulled painfully out. Um they describe it in other parts in here, I think a little even more gross, but they basically says, um, if someone were to poke a hole in your stomach and pull one, start pulling one of your intestines out through that hole, that's kind of what it feels like to him every time they pull an elven soul out of him. Um, and he just kind of, but you know, Hey, that's success. So he's like, yep, I'm okay with this. Like he's not okay with it happening, but it's like, he's feeding off of this horrible thing happening to him, which once again, He's drawing power from the horrors that are happening to him. Um, the only reason he's not drawing enough power to get out is because they're actually pulling the elven souls out of him, which is lessening his power, while the horrible way they're doing it is, you know, increasing it. Yeah. 
Uh, it literally says no other being, not even another god, could have endured that long ordeal without losing their sanity and coming apart altogether. But that's this is this is his wheelhouse, so he gets through it. Um, and then he begins to detach part of his mind. After a couple of decades of this, he manages to just detach part of his mind, separate that section, and start working on a way out. Yeah. Um, and then how they describe how he starts to figure it out is these demons um, start to ensnare the sorcerers that help work on the wards that hold him because they're so devoted to that ideal of keeping him in chain and making sure that they keep their secrets safe. So that excess in and of itself is what is undoing these chains. Well, that's that's how he's figuring out how to undo these chains. Yeah. Because even though they were magical, they still have to... There's still laws of magic that they have to obey. And he Correct. he could find the way to do it. So that's where you... Like you said, you're, you're, he's finding the people who, who follow the rituals, the different attendants and the people who are maintaining the obelisks and watching over his prison. Yeah, they glean that from their mind. And then... When they realize, oh, crap, he got the info, they don't tell anybody because, and we don't, you don't know why. It could be the Slanesh put a spell on them. It could be because they don't want Marathi and Malarian tearing them apart for their failures. But this, this is, you know, this is, this is how Slanesh is getting away with it. That idea that um, these, these people that he is stealing the 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 method of escape from from their minds are too afraid to tell anybody and they figure oh you know one chain seriously one chain it can't be that bad never thinking that if he got me he got a bunch of others right yeah that's that's the problem um, and it's that arrogance again yep i don't want to admit i made a mistake but you know what? We've got it. You know, I am the only one that made this mistake. No one else could have made uh, No. No, there's a lot of you that made this mistake. Yeah, I like this. Only the greatest of paradoxes could undo them because they're both shadow and light. They're made of the raw stuff of contradiction. So you need this paradox to break them. And for the first time in centuries, he starts to his old gloating nature coming back. Um now the first now they don't give you all sixty because there was how many chains? I mean there was a lot of chains. Was it was it six hundred and sixty six or was it sixty six? I know it took sixty six years, but it was a lot of chains. It there are sixty six chains that bind him. Okay, all right. So they go through a few that he's broken. Um, the first one is called purest hatred. Um, the chain of purest hatred can only be undone by the one who loathed him the most, and of course. Tackless, Tyrion, Malarian said, that's us. He almost wiped out our whole race. Nobody hates him more than us. Look what he's done to our people. Wrong. <laughs> the person who hates Slanesh more than anyone else is... Corn. Corn. So he goes and he gets, he sends visions to his people and has them steal the demon axe... Um, Eingengrom and thread um, and hence thread a melody through the gate game that Korn could not ignore. Enraged, he sends Karanak 
to destroy the demonette. They fight. She beats Karanak, sends him back. Um, Sinesh starts preparing him. Somehow he's twisting and twisting so that the uh, the that that chain was kind of wrapped tight around him. So he was mm-hmm. like up against the whole chain. So as his wave came through, he could break it. And what winds up happening is when Karanak lost, Corn loses it. Mm-hmm. Um. The explosion of rage resounded across the cosmos so loud and powerful it awoke billions of slumbering mortal souls in a cold sweat of terror. He knew Slanesh was behind this, and his wrath was directed straight at the Dark Prince. The sonic blast wave that reached Ulgish was so powerful it rocked the runic obelisk like buoys in a stormy sea and shattered the chain that was around Slanesh into a million shards. In a heartbeat, he fashioned an illusion of expectation and desire to replace the shattered chain. So... He knew what would break it, he broke it, and then he instantly replaced it with an illusion because he's good at that, so it looks like the chain is still there. This is, this is so good. Yeah, now there is a risk there, but the captors are looking at the where they're at in the wars of the other Chaos Gods. So he had this kind of like leg up because it's like, well, you're looking elsewhere because you think I'm okay. Or I think I can't do anything to help well, myself. Well, he, he fooled Teclis because Teclis couldn't be, uh, you know, he, he, but he said he even fooled Malarian, Master of Lies. So, yeah, I mean, that's that's a well-woven deceit that none of these guys, I mean, te- it, it almost sounds like if Teclis really took a close look at it, like if he was worried about it and checked it, he might notice. But yeah. nobody else is seeming to notice anything. Um, do you want to take the next one? So the next chain that he seeks to break is a chain of utmost betrayals. Um, And the description of how it could be broken was an act of extreme dissonance, namely the slaughter of thousands of unblemished souls by their own righteous protectors. So the Pantheon thought that there would be no way that that could happen. Um, It's so contradictory that it's like, no, 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 it'll never happen. No, no, it, it actually does. And it's Sigmar that does it. Um, by unleashing the storm hosts and it's the vindicators, the celestial vindicators. That's the, uh, turquoise ones. Mm-hmm. Um, now didn't we hear this story before? This is part of that city of secrets story. No, 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 no. Okay. That's the Knights Excelsior. Okay. Um, but it, I'm really surprised. Oh, actually they do. No, I thought this, this, this was lot. mentioned. Yeah. Basically, they come in and they—they any any hint of taint of chaos, they're they're killing. So a lot of people get better, but a lot of people start acting. So basically, hide it really good. Yeah. Now this is all happening at once. This is why it looks weird. So how this works is um, essentially the celestial vindicators um, in their city of Vindicarum. Uh, they inspire hundreds of criminals to mend their ways in scores to simply get better at hiding them. Mm-hmm. So they become a city in fear of their own protectors. In Hitmerhal, you have a sorcerer working together with kings, alchemists, and worshippers to undermine the Cinderfall district and bring up the Slaneshi worship there. Um, in Hish, you have a mountain stronghold of geomancers, a friendly rivalry turns sour because the whisperings of Slanesh's demons. And then they talk about Excelsis 
um, where you have a rebellion and the Knights Excelsior put it down hard mm-hmm. in the way that they do. So it's all of these acts at once is what brings it about. Okay. Uh-huh. Yeah, in the during the infamous purge of the Vindicarum, the Celestial Vindicators took their blades to three-quarters of the population. They gouged out mm-hmm. every trace and treachery and evil, putting to the sword every single citizen with a hint of corruption, just as Sigmar and Azerheim... Well, that's what Sigmar had to do when he closed the gates. Yeah, and, he had to purge all of it. Right, and they're like, well, we're doing the same thing. So yeah, then at that same time, in the Battle of... Yeah, all that stuff happens at the same time and the screams of those, yeah, and then boom, they break another chain. Mm-hmm. And then the chain of cosmic law, um, this one happened because of the necroquake. Yep. Uh, this one, I think this one was like a happy accident. It didn't even, like, and he said, had he not already weakened a couple of chains, it might not have done this, but... Boom, in addition to the cosmic law being shattered. Now, this is the interesting part. The Necroquake shatters the chain of cosmic laws because it literally turns the laws of the universe upside down. He literally switched Shyish from the edges being the most potent with magic to the center. The Necroquake swings out. Just, I mean, magic gets turned on its head. We all know this. Um, But... In addition to that chain being shattered, the tissues of the web-like tissues of misdirection that surrounded each link were shaken and torn. Made from the spider web realmstone of Ulgu, they had been tightly and skillfully bound by the arts of Malarian. It was a testament to his skill they were not dispersed entirely by that deathly cataclysm. So I spotted the damage in the lie sheaths of each chain. Nonetheless, for his senses had become clearer by the day. He learned the secrets of dozens of the chains that had been damaged by the unraveling of their fabric and committed them to memory even as their magical integrity was repaired once more by the talented elven mages that acted as his jailers. And only a fraction of the 66 chains that bound him were broken. He knew how to break dozens more. And basically, Yeah, so he's only broken two. Well, three. No. Oh, two. no. No, purest hatred, worst of betrayals, and then cosmic laws broke. He didn't break it, but it broke. It cracked, but it didn't break. Oh, wait a minute. Is that... No, I thought... Oh, wait a minute. Hang on a second. No, in addition to the chain of cosmology being shattered, um, but then it says that they had to rework it. But in addition to the chain of cosmic... The web... No, they reworked all the um, all of the stuff that kept him from being able to tell what each of them like. That was the the lies, oh. the cover, the chain broke. But mm-hmm. then all of the other chains, like the, you remember how he was sending out his people to find out the secrets of each chain. Oh, okay, now I'm with you. The 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 dozens of them, the the stuff that was covering up what they were unraveled, and that got put back together. But it was too late; he already saw it, and now he knows how to break dozens more of these chains. Mm-hmm. That's bananas. And now, at some eventually, when he breaks enough chains, he'll get enough of his own power back that the other chains can't hold him. He won't need to figure it out. He's just going to one day be like, guess what? And like break all the chains. And that's, oh, that's going to be bad. Mm-hmm. In fact, it says here 
On that day, it was his plan to spill into Ulgu and Hish through the same magical conduits that held him, drowning their lands in a cataclysm of excess. He would claim those realms as extensions of his sovereign domain, and with a full quarter of the mortal realms under his control, force his victory in the great game once and for all. This is crazy. Like, he literally, I mean, we all saw Nurgle almost took over a realm, and Korn almost took over a realm, and here he is. Literally, because of his imprisonment, on the verge of being able to grab two and hold them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is uh, I, best thing GW ever did was go in and, and 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 make it so that the story can progress rather than sit on the doomsday clock at two minutes to midnight for years. Because these, this is fantastic. The storytelling that's going on here. Yes. But that's just my opinion. Mm-hmm. All right. So, what do we got then? Um, all right. We did that part. So, yeah, we're up to. Um, okay. We're actually getting along pretty good here. So, we've just. Now we're on to the different. Uh, the different legions uh, that he owns, that he runs. Um, so, shall we talk about the Keeper of Secrets? Well, if we keep it secret. Keep it safe? No. Keep it secret. Keep it safe. I don't think keepers do anything safe. Let's be honest I was, here. Yeah, I know. But if I can make a Lord of the Rings reference, I'm going to. You, know. you don't have to. You kind of do. Right. Yeah. Like I said, I'm going to bring in every reference, every little weird thing I can, because we got to go into excess. Mm-hmm. The show goes ever on and on, you know. All right. Um... Keepers are the closest companions and servants of him. They carry the scent of his blessing like an aura. Wreathed in glamours and mind-dulling musks, these monstrous demons mask their true form with supernatural allure. Their powerfully muscled bodies are bedecked with jewels that hold the souls of their choicest victims. Their razor-sharp claws are decorated with brightly colored lacquers. So they don't even devour the souls of their best victims. They just put them into little gems and you can hold like a soul gem? Yeah. Because don't the elves have that stuff? I know the Eldar do. Yeah, like spirit stones. Yeah. Interesting. Because um, it's one thing to consume it, because once you've consumed it, it's gone. But to put it into a gem or something like that, you can stare at it longingly. Aha, got you. Um, to, to even see a Keeper of Secrets and survive becomes the most dangerous secret of all, for none can look upon a keeper and claim to be unchanged by the experience. So even going up and seeing one and walking away, it's, it's, it affects you. Mm-hmm. Um, this kind of reminds you of the H.P. Lovecraft stuff, where you just can't see that stuff without either going crazy or at least having it shatter something in you. Right. Um, they take pleasure in torture and killing. Uh, excruciatingly painful death in battle is just another form of creative expression. Uh, feeds on strong emotions triggered by mortals as they're torn apart. That type of stuff. I mean, this, I mean, we kind of know what a keeper of secrets is. Um, it is possible for devoted head knights to summon a keeper of secrets to lead them. Should the reek of depravity reach dizzying heights, uh, they can summon a keeper of secrets. Um, I thought it was interesting here that as you get to the end of it, it says that, I mean, Keepers of Secrets, it says they are his 
the I, his his uh, what most martial. Of yeah, his they creatures. are the most fighty. The most fighty, yeah. Uh, their most potent weapon is its voice. With a honeyed promise, it can turn a man's mind from its true course, offering power enough to lay low any foal, even the demon itself. The true cost quickly becomes cure the immortal soul of those fools who accept it. Mm-hmm. So you it's were, you're making the deal with the devil is what it is. Exactly. You got to pay for it. Um, Now, should an enemy warlord reach sufficient prominence for the Dark Prince to become irritated by their existence, a mental impulse will burst into Shalaxi Hellbane's soul. You want to talk about Shalaxi Hellbane here? Yeah, so she is the perfect hunter. Um, And her job is to kill all of those that offense slash she is kind of like the karenak yeah as a war, but she has a much grander job so she hunts people down um and the, her like hair like stuff is actually like antenna mm-hmm. it's picking up on every little sensation and every little moat um and she has these followers usually fiends that trill in the in joyous abandon is a race to keep along with her. So she's like this alpha beast to them. Right. So she constantly brings down, uh, things. Um, and the only, it even mentions here, the only safe haven perhaps can be found in those abyssal regions where little to no stimuli at all can thrive regions known well to the weaklings known as Ideneth Deepkin. Um, I love so. that, that throwing that insult, not cause I got anything against the Deepkin. But just because of how they see them, oh, you have to hide. Mm-hmm. You won't even fight us. You're going to go. She can sense. She can sense every emotion. Yes. And her senses can wrap all of those different emotions together, so she can track you wherever you go. You literally leave it behind like a chemtrail. Mm-hmm. Um, not only can she trace you, but if you jump through a realm gate, she can still trace you. Um, that's yes. kind of bananas. Mm-hmm. Once she gets on your trail, you're never going to get away from her. Much like Karanak, it's a good. That was a good comparison. Um, I also like that she doesn't. Um, she don't. She don't play. She don't sneak. She's not an assassin. When she gets to you, she throws out a challenge. Mm-hmm. She's going to fight you face to face. Um, I guess that's the best way to do it, right? That would get the most emotion. That would get the most response. Um, but such a perfectly worded challenge that you cannot. Refuse. Refuse. Yeah. It's so good. Mm-hmm. And every aspect of her is to fight the fiercest of prey, which is the blood god um, in the greater demons of corn. So in many ways, that is her primary existence is to take on bloodthirsters and beat them, which then proves that Slanesh is better than his chief rival. That has to, I mean, could you picture being the bloodthirster who gets beat by her? Because they're going to be reborn, right? Mm-hmm. I mean... Eventually. You don't want to go home and tell Dad that you got beat up by a Keeper of Secrets. And for all the people who love Slanesh, I am not putting down Keepers of Secrets and promoting Bloodthirsters. But that's just like 
I mean, the bloodthirsters are the big bads, right? Like everybody is afraid of them for the most part, and they consider themselves the top of the food chain. So to get beat by a greater demon from another god is not as not only embarrassing, but by Slanesh. Yeah. Oh, I mean, you ain't gonna get scar branded, but you you oh no no you don't want that. Yeah, and they even mentioned that um, she has longed to lay Scarbrand low. Um, and she's fought him twice to a draw. So, <laughs> yep. Yeah. But there's even this moment, like, they talk about under Vastragi's mount, burning mountain. I don't, I don't, I'm assuming it's a volcano. Um, Shalaxi disarmed Scarbrand only for the bloodthirst to hurl himself backwards into a river of lava to evade the killing blow. What? Did he retreat or did he just fall over like a dummy? Um, I think he jumped out of the way and that was the only way to get away from that. Um, you know, honestly, yeah, I mean, he probably thought he could take it, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, heck, they live in Corndrum. It's all fire and brimstone. He probably thought he could take it. And honestly, even if he couldn't, I'd rather fall into the brimstone and get burned than have to go say I got beat up by a Slaneshi greater demon if I was a corn demon. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Oh, I dodged and I fell in the lava and I got burnt. But you know what? I would have had her. Mm-hmm. You know, she had the high ground. Oh, no. I, I, I'm not going to stop. Get used to it. We got hours left of this if you count the the, the, the war episode. All right, let's talk about Heralds. Um There's a lot of Yeah. I kinda I, I, I was a little surprised at the at the variety, but I kinda liked this because um, they're not just mini they're not just smaller versions of the greater demons. These guys have a, a very different job. Um they like violence, although that's not that's a keeper a secret thing is violence. These guys, um, they act as dark muses, inspiring them to inspiring their their prey to sort of descend into this spiral of obsession and inhumanity until they reach the the the, the lowest point. Um, so they all tend to follow different favorite things so it's not just the violence these are the guys who might uh you might see them sort of focused more on one of the different six rings of slanesh's Mm -hmm. area how they kind of focus on different stuff um there once was a hierarchy to this and the most privileged sat closest to slanesh when he was at home uh his heralds his favorite heralds got to sit closest um the super favorite heralds got to sit on the dais with him by his throne and feed him Mm -hmm. um but now that this isn't there, they've been sort of thrown into this sort of chaos where they're all just still trying to outdo each other, but there's no actual way to rank. So they're all just trying to rack up their glories for when he comes back. Mm-hmm. Um, and they take that disappointment and bitterness out on the mortals who know nothing of true agony. So the first one they talk about is vice leaders. You want to grab this one? Yeah, so these are the most numerous ones, um, and they are expert at finding immoral and impure individuals and drawing them further into that path of damnation, um, using like seduction, um, dreams of conquest, um, and all those things to 
get people to give in to the most like nasty urges. Right. Um, so that's really what they're about. Um, and these guys and gals also create the different cults um, as like a conduit to Slanesh's greater victory. Yep. Um, so that's really what the Vice Seers are about. These are like the most basic of them. I found it interesting, though, that they used to like, and this almost reminded me of Vampire the Masquerade again. Um, with that, where you're or, you're immortal, and so you can set up your plans. You can play the long game, much like Zinch plays the long mm-hmm. game. It's not as long of a long game as Zinch's game, but they would sometimes take decades to let this corruption flourish. Um, now they don't have that kind of luxury because they don't know where the boss is. So now at times they just walk up and they're just like like. Apparently, they have the power, if there is some corruption in your soul, to basically walk up, touch you, and be like, zoom, almost like, uh, you know, like when Loki had his little scepter. I could just touch you, boom, and flow, and bring your worst stuff to flower. And they might do it, just take seconds. Whereas before, they would enjoy it over decades and let that experience play out so they could savor it. They don't have time for that stuff no more, though. No. I thought that was interesting. All right, contorted ep- epitomies. That is epitome, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, okay, so this is a couple of demonettes chosen for their ability to abide one another's presence. So I just think that's fantastic. They just don't, you know, they're all like that. They all, they're not going to be, con- you know, they're not even going to be constrained by having to deal with another one of their kind. Um, so they get these mirrors of absorption. And uh, this treasure is as much a demonic being as an object. So here's what happened. You got a guy who was an expert mirror maker, and uh, people were fighting to get his mirrors. Uh, The rich and the powerful. He died super rich, or he was about to die super rich. Um, Slanesh kind of liked him because it was pushing that vanity in all these other people who wanted to have the best mirror so they can see themselves the best. Or they called it silvered glass. And um, it sparked that much vanity in these people that it attracted Slanesh. So before he died, he grabbed him and dragged him into his realm and said, you're going to make mirrors like this for me. Um, and he does make, he makes a mirror, um, but he makes this mirror that to strike back against Slanesh, he invented the mirror of absorption, a looking glass with the ability to swallow excessive energies, which would slowly drain the power of Slanesh himself. Um but Slanesh is so vain that looking in this perfect mirror, he was just staring into it. And all that excess power is pouring off so fast and so much. Like, it sparked so much vanity and so much pride in him that it, 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 it caused so much in excess of power that it shattered the mirror. Mm-hmm. And when Slanesh realized what this was, rather than punish the guy, he's like, oh, no, you're just going to make me more of these. I want these. It was, but I'm not going to use them anymore. He wrapped them up in living uh, demon uh, flesh, basically. And then the other two use it, and they bring it out into the into into battle. Um, and you can't like like the best weapons won't even damage it because that's not how it works. It 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 absorbs all the excess, so you can't hurt it with a nuke, but you might be able to hit it with a pointed stick and do damage. Mm-hmm. 
which is just great. You got to hit it with low powered attacks because it drags off the excess and heals itself with it. So you got to hit it with the crappy stuff. Um, that's a cool. I, I like the lore behind that that model. I think that's cool. Yep. Um, and then we come on to the infernal and rapturouses, um, and these are probably my favorite of the models. This that is, have come out with the Slanesh. This is the uh, Demonette with the Heartstring Lyre that came out with Wrath and Rapture. Yeah. Um, so that's the one where she's obviously got her harp made out of a human being. Yeah. Um, so what these gals do um, is they go out ahead of a Slaneshi army um, and they like infiltrate. They pretend to be muses. Um, to artists who strive to create beauty, um, and they just let things kind of get out of control. Of and like the demon then places in their minds a vision of the perfect piece of music that they'll one day compose. Um, but they go into excess to like try to create this. Um, so they enter into this state of utter bliss. Many die of starvation having forsaken stuff as they toil at their masterpiece or they get reduced to gibbering lunatics. Um, but only when they hit their lowest, um, the enraptures reveals herself. And then the person they've enraptured says in order to complete the great work, they have to become the instrument. Now this is pretty cool because it's not necessarily the guy who they struck first, the guy who composes it, composes this great piece it's th- in fact this reminded me of the end of fulgrim very much so if you read fulgrim with the big opera going in the music a while ago yeah yeah um because they they all they, like the guy who composes it he may die composing it but then it's when it's actually played the single when when there's they, they play themselves to death and when the last mu- the last musician who hasn't died playing the music that's the one who becomes, as you said, becomes the instrument. Mm-hmm. It's like the the one with the most stamina. The one who survives is the one who's actually off the worst. Yeah. Because, oh, God, tell people. This is so gross. Yeah. Um, the instrument rush from the contorted body of that, we, of that willing subject is known as a heartstring lyre. Strung with tattered fragments of that mortal soul, the lyre emits screams of pure elation and raw torment that vibrate through the physical and spiritual essences of those who hear it by playing a, ca- a cacophonous, oh, cacophonous. cacophonous melody of notes in rapturous conducts each individual muscle and nerve fiber in the foe to dance to its own anarchic rhythm, ripping the body apart. Alternatively, oh. the instrument can emit a focused blast of sound that resounds within the very soul vivifying the victim's emotions to such an extent that their joy can no longer be contained. Their hearts erupt in a shower of glorious gore. That's fantastic. Also, as the music is continued to play, they're playing the music of the spheres of Slanet. They're playing the music of his realm. Mm -hmm. And by doing that, they start to bring the, the Slaneshi realm and the mortal realm into harmony in that area with that music which then allows the demons to erupt into the mortal realms more easily mm-hmm. so it's not only a weapon it becomes a it becomes a partly a conduit to help 
summon in more demons. Right. Um, that's cool too. These are, yeah. these are great. Um, the mask. You know what? Why did I think that the this is not the old backstory of the mask, is it? Uh, no, it, it it is. It's just more elaborate. Okay, who's the one who was like hiding out and could take any form they wanted and would hide out in units? That would be the Cursling. That's the curse. Wasn't there a Slaneshi character that? No, that was the Cursling. Because hmm. remember, in end times, they were hiding out, always screwing things up for people. That was the curse. Oh, okay. So, uh, basically, the mask was one of Slanesh's favorites. Uh, would dance and cheer him up whenever he was in a bad mood. Uh, at one point, Zinch tricks Slanesh to attack both Nurgle and Korn at the same time, and Slanesh gets his ass kicked. And he's very upset, and she tries to cheer him up by dancing, and she does the most perfect dance she ever done, and he took it instead of as her trying to cheer him up. He was in such a foul mood. Her perfection only... Uh, exacerbated his failure and he took it as an insult and so he said oh you want to dance like that dance forever which is uh, that's 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 a grim fairy tale actually right out of Grimm's fairy tales right there um, so she has to dance forever uh, and she does and it's exhausting and terrible and she and and, and uh, you know but as she dances through the mortal realms, she's like a Pied Piper. People get seduced and join in and dance themselves to death. Um, as she sort of reenacts things from Slanesh's history, tells stories of Slanesh, her mask changes to fit the roles of the characters. But basically, she's doomed to dance through the realms for eternity um, doing these things. Um, once again, it doesn't seem that bad because that's what she does. But it just becomes torturous because she can never stop. But then again, that's sort of Slanesh's deal. So it's still feeding him. And I, I assume it's feeding her because of the excess. Mm-hmm. So as much as she hates it, she loves it because that's kind of how this thing goes, I'm assuming. Yeah. yeah. So that's the mask. Oh, we got Seleska. Yeah, this is the Vengeful Allegiance. Um, and this is kind of a weird thing. So most of the heralds um, are really fickle. They move from one thing to the next. Um, the creature Sil Ludtung um, was spurned by her other courtiers because she got too attached to those that she had chosen to be the muse for. Um, and the story is she uh becomes the muse for a mortal war slave named Esk fighting in the gladiatorial pits of Celestia's realm. Um, he was really receptive to her patronage. He then spikes up the ranks. Um, and she is the one speaking wisdom to him and telling him what to do um, to the point that he becomes a demon prince. Um, yeah, buddy. Yeah, so he reaches that pinnacle, um, and then he kind of gets treated as, like, a second-class Well, he was a mortal, demon, wasn't he? Because he was a mortal. Yeah, you weren't born a demon prince. You were a mortal who aspired. So, yeah, they kind of kind of racist. They're kind of looking down. Yeah, you don't—you're not really one of us. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. So he then gets angry and humiliated and that leads into rage. Um, and the two of them together, um, they take out their revenge on all of those who ridiculed them. And in front of Slanesh's throne, um, there's a dark ritual that bound the two of them together. Um, it's now to the point that they fight in perfect synchronous or synchronicity. Yeah. Yes. That's the word that I can't say. <laughs> so they are, they are eternally bound together. Um, that's, it's a pretty, that's, I kind of like it. Mm-hmm. I like that story. Um, and then you get now. This one is another one that reminded me of Fulgrim. Uh, the blade. Well, it should. Yeah. Uh, the heralds known as blade bringers were given a sacred duty to bear the chaos infused blades forged in Slanesh's kingdom into the world of mortal men. Uh, these elegantly curved weapons left in secret for a powerful warrior warlord. Those who took up the enchanted blades found the sword whispering to them in the night, driving them ever, ever further along the path of the oppressor or the murderer. Um, but now the heralds didn't want to give them up. It kind of took its toll on them. They were carrying it. It whispered to them. They wanted blades. So then the heralds would find ways to fight with even more weapons, culminating in the invention of the bladed chariot. So they could put all these blades and use multiple bladed weapons. Um, but yeah, that's exactly what happened to Fulgrim. He found one of these things. Right. And boy, did that mess him up. Mm -hmm. So now that's it for the different heralds. Um, do you want to, I suppose we could talk a little bit about demonettes. Yeah. Um, oh, other fun fact. There are six different heralds. Of course there are. Of course there are. See, of course. Because it actually talks about how the number the number is six, the best number. There's uh, what is they talk about? There's sixty six. Uh, this thing, grandest plans of Sanesh play out in six phases. Mortal followers are all into six. In fact, there's one that says there are six hundred and sixty six types of pleasure and pain. So you know six. Uh, demonettes, though, the bringers of joyous degradation, the maidens of excess. The sadistic and sycophantic demonettes. Yeah, so these are the lowest level of the tier um, with regards to um, the demons. And essentially, that's really what they are. Um, they kind of hang around, moving between all the realms, um, lounging upon cushions and toying with the flesh of mortal playthings. Um and they go through great lengths to inflict pain in the most inventive ways possible. Mm -hmm. um, so they like they will give up secrets. Um, this that's an interesting part. They're talking about the secrets on the battlefield. They will get your innermost secret from you before you die. Mm -hmm. And then they like they don't bring back treasure. They don't bring back skulls. They don't bring back bodies. They don't bring back, they bring back secrets. And that becomes almost a currency for them is, is you know, having these, these things. Um, I also like that the things they hate the more are organized societies, conclaves of the chaste and phlegmatic, disciplined armies that kill without passion or joy. If you're out there killing because you're a well-oiled machine and you're a soldier and it's your duty and not because you love it, God, they hate that. Anything that's, got, that, that's not to excess, they, just, they want to destroy it and change it into something different. 
Um, and then the rest of this is mostly stuff we know. Yeah. You know, I mean, demonettes, you know, they they have that hip, the aura that disguises their true form, transforms them into the ultimate object of desire in the eyes of mortals, regardless of race, gender, or mortality, as we said earlier. Um, it's only when it's poised to strike that they unveil their actual appearance, forced to look upon the grotesque disfigurements of the creature's face and body. The victim sees the barbed claws for the first time, just as the cruel talons are about to tear through flesh. Those few who survive are left devastated in mind and soul, forever haunted by the monstrous beauty of the demonette. So, th- there's a full two pages dedicated. I mean, well, I mean, over a page, once you take the pictures out and stuff. But over a page, just describing all the the sort of mindset and the stuff of the demonettes. The, you know, yes, they're the base... You know they're the you know your 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 battle line troop your your most common troop, but there is still a complexity to them that uh, mm-hmm. that I never I never got before. And I don't think they had this kind of level of depth about them before. No, regardless of the system or when it happens. Yeah. Um. So th- th- it's interesting to see the different things that they do. I like that they traffic in secrets as currency, though. Just to get in good with the with the with the keepers of secrets and the other things in there to to, to move up the ranks, um, the idea of them being able to move up the ranks almost seems weird. Like you know that humans always aspire to to demonhood and stuff like that, mm-hmm. um, but it seemed like since you are just a piece of Slanesh's will, that you would just be a like any of the gods' will, like you would just be that thing. Um, the idea that. That they would aspire to be something more. I guess I never th- really thought that much about it, but yeah, I suppose they would want to do better. Um, so they're they're all, even though they're all, so part of the the same essence. They're all trying to to get that one up on each other. Um, and then all the chariots, um, you know, seeker chariots. They got uh, lots of knives on them, lots yeah. of blades, lots of whips. Um, I love how the guys riding the secret chariots, they got those two whips and the most skilled of them can throw the whip out and not just flay a person or rip out his eyeball or take off a finger because they're that accurate, but get it wrapped around them and yank them in so they can get run over by it. That's the most fun. If you can do that two at a time with both whips, you're an expert. Yeah. And that's their drive to compulsion is to try to do that. Um, And when the machine gets going, it's swirling shapes blinding streaks of vibrant, luxurious color. So it's like this whole cacophony of things, not just a gigantic lawnmower. Yes. Even though the metal axles are screeching and it sounds like, and you can hear the torment of souls in it when it's coming, that's all of that stuff is changing and moving. Um, I just love the idea of them up there with the whips trying to nail it. It's almost like people playing video games trying to get that headshot in. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> got it. Uh, and then you get to the hell flayers. Um, I love the the whole idea of the Hellflayer. Um, the weapons are not normal blades. They are ensorcelled weapons that bear a strange curse. The mortal creature slain by these slashing blades has its soul transmuted into an exhilarating incense that is breathed in with ecstasy by the allurer that stands tall upon the fighting platform. So if you get ground up by this, you're not just ground up, but your soul gets ground up into uh, something that uh, that they're inhaling like a drug. Mm-hmm. Um, they used to go through the fields in Slanesha's gardens. This was literally 
this was like the garden weasel. This was the thing that was tilling the land, you know, going around, or you know, and and and, and mulching up the top layer of soil. Um, he would. Now it wasn't plants. Anyone who pissed him off, he would bury them in there with their arms and legs coming up out of the ground, and then this thing would run them over and cut off the tips of their fingers and their edges of their legs and all the stuff, put them in writhing agony, and then they would grow back the next day for him to mow them again. Um, and that was what this thing was used for until a couple of demonettes decided to bring it to battle without permission. Mm-hmm. Um, and he turned them into statues to punish them. Marble statues, devoid of any sort of sensory input, which I suppose would be the worst torture for them, right? Absolutely. Um, but the machine worked so good in battle that they... You know, all right, look, you took my... You took the the mower out without permission, and so he punishes them for that. However, it worked really well. So if anybody else wants to take it now, now you can take it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Such a dumb story, but I love it. Yeah, um, and then you have the exalted chariots, and these are the big ones. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is really for gluttons. Um, these are demonettes that kind of rank. Um, and they seek the foe where it is most numerous and go right into them with abandon. They get this massive vantage point uh, to view a battle. And the blades, they're like a hell flare. But the whole thing is, once you get underneath it, like your body is reduced to a fine red paste or mist or whatever. Uh-huh. But your soul is really what gets stuck. Um, because the blades and the wheels hook into your spirit and you mowed through the maelstrom of metal underneath them over and over and over again. So your body dies, but your soul is going to continue to be tormented. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You continue to cut and torn apart underneath all of that blade. Yeah, and I love how you pointed out it's gluttony. They don't care about beautiful... Like, you keep hearing about how it's it's an art form and a dance and they make it beautiful. Not these. These are the ones who are in that gluttony realm. They just want to kill as much as possible. Mm-hmm. This is about quantity, not quality. Correct. So, all right. So then we get to Seekers, uh, Seekers of Slanesh. You know, they're riding those, they, you know, they're the, they're the, the cavalry. They ride the, the bipeds. They got those feet, t- tongues that are several feet long. Uh, and so swollen are their sensoriums. They can trace fear, lust, and joy on a breeze from a mile away. They can just sense it. It's almost like a snake's tongue. They can sense things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and basically, this is much like many of the other stories were told. Uh, if you can sneak in and get a gold chain or a silver chain around its neck, um, then they can get it under control. And basically, you have to sneak into where they're kept. And if you can make one your mount, then you get to be a rider. Yep. Yep. That's that's basically their story. It's a demonettes and these and these mounts. So I, I think I mean that's I mean that's basically it, right? I'm not trying to give them short change them. There's nothing super. It's nothing like ooh wow. Yeah, but the big thing is like their job is the hunt. Mm-hmm. Um, They're trackers. And, yeah, and at the end of the hunt, they will then pull back in order to prolong the terror. Um, and fanning the flame of hope a little longer just to keep that torture, to keep that rush going. 
Yep. Yep, yep. Uh, what about fiends? Yeah, these things are weird. Um, so they're the weird amalgamation of creatures. Um, and I'm just going to read the description because it is so weird. Their lower limbs resemble those of a human with one pair of legs that faces forwards and a second pair that is twisted to face backwards and their arms and enormous pincer-like claws. In addition, each fiend has a barbed tail that weaves sinuously behind it. This formidable appendage can lash out with force powerful enough to crack open even plate armor. Its stinger is loaded with a potent venom that brings agony and death. A fiend's head is sleek and draconic, and from its sprout long rows of insectile spines or shocks of vibrant hair. So you have this weird creature, and in addition, it emits this musk um, that brings people into it. It's only reserved for their enemies, lacing their thoughts the most hallucinated visions. Um, it's and essentially, a, like, yeah, yeah, you don't you don't recognize the danger. It puts you off of that. Suddenly, you're aroused. You're excited. You're looking. Ooh, what is this? You want more of that, and then you forget to fight, and then it kills you. Yeah. Um. And it says even if you can fight through the musk and see it for what it is, you once again, you will not be the same. You won't recall the experience, but you'll recall flashes and images that are just mess with you for the rest of your life. Yep. Um, Hellstriders I found interesting. I didn't know yeah. this. I didn't know this story. Uh, Hellstriders are the mortals who are riding, uh, who are riding, you know, on the, the, the steeds, the steeds, um, so here's what happens, because how else, I mean, it, it takes a demonette to get one of these things. You can't sneak into Slanesh's place as a human and get on one. What happens, he finds those who are desperate to be these warriors, you know? Uh, he finds those who want to be great, but just ain't. And he says, ooh, you know what? You want to be great? Join me. You jump on this steed. You can ride with this. You will become a great hunter, all this stuff. And they say, sure. And they get on, and then basically they can't ever get off of it. So once you're on the steed, they're on the steed until they die. They ride it until they die. Um, now, that doesn't mean they starve to death or anything like that, but they have to be on. They're constantly fighting. In fact, not only that, but every time they kill someone, he rewards them, right? Because that was the promise. That was the deal. You'll become a great warrior. You'll be wonderful. Everything. So every time they they kill somebody, they get this uh, intoxicating energy coursing through their veins. The problem is it doesn't last too long, and it's super addictive. What a surprise! So much like corn, you become in physical pain if you don't, you know, offer up skulls often enough. Same thing. Uh, you don't kill in Slanesh's name then you don't get his little boost and you are wildly addicted to that. So they have cursed themselves to an eternal hunt. They must fight to feed the, to feed the, you know, the, 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 the monkey on their back. Uh, and so they basically just keep riding and killing or they die from basically withdrawal symptoms. Yeah. That's the most interesting, I think, in those of all the the ones who are riding mounts and stuff like that. That whole idea that oh, you know, 
we got to keep on writing and keep on killing. Otherwise, we got issues. Yeah. Um, and they don't even realize that they're slaves because once they become addicted, they just want that next fix. And he did promise them glory, and they're out killing, and they're, they are people are terrified of them. It's exactly what they wanted. Careful what you wish for sort of scenario. Absolutely. So um, that brings us to the end of the lore. Yeah. Is there anything you wanted to talk about or anything you wanted to mention or any final thoughts uh, before we break? Um, you know, we're going to stop here and then pick it up, um, you know, when the war half of the episode is released. I think the big thing to really understand before we get into the war is that you need to understand the lore with how these different parts play. So if you're just interested in the gaming perspective, that's fine. But having a better understanding of how the hosts work will then make a better influence on the uh, war section when we talk about it. It will make more sense. I actually was thinking about, because we did lore first last time, I thought maybe we try going with war first. And then as I was going over and thinking about that, before I even brought it, because I never even brought it up to you. Because mm-hmm. I went through and said, yeah, but then when we talk about all the cool things they can do, there's no reference back to, oh, this plays to the lore. I can say that, but if you don't hear that part first, you know, it's it doesn't work as well. Now, I'm not saying, you know, I mean, not everybody listens to both parts, you know? Yeah, um, but they should. Yeah, well, yes. Um, in fact, fun fact, um, I've been checking the numbers on downloads and because I, I was curious to see if Lore or War gets more downloads. And they're almost even. Uh, from the last one we did, uh, actually, War's got about I think a hundred, hundred and fifty more downloads. But I'm, I'm, you know, that's in the grand scheme of things, that's pretty much statistically dead even. So I'm glad mm-hmm. to see people are listening to both. But it did surprise me that the War got a few more. Um, just I don't know why. What was the last book we did? Beasts. Yeah, I think it. Yeah, I think. I don't know. Yeah, it was Beast. Yeah, oh, yeah, it was. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. No, 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 the one, which one did we break into two parts like that? Was that Beast? Beast. Oh, yeah, okay. Beast is the first one we did, Lore War. Okay, yeah, you're right, you're right, you're right, you're right. I don't remember things. So, we know. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, you know what, we're going to stop here. Um, I, You know, we're not going to do the whole show wrap-up and everything. We're going to do that at the end of this part, too, because... There, they're really not two separate episodes, so I'm not going to go through all that. We're not going to do a whole crazy introduction to the beginning. Um, no. You know, Master Engineer will probably bring us in that, you know, just to have something in the opening. But, yeah, we're just going to bring it back. So we're going to cut it here, and um, we will talk to you in, you know, depending on when you download this, we, we might be back in seconds. But if you're downloading this on the day of release, um, it usually we're trying to put it out within 48 hours. However, within 48 hours of this release, we will be at Midwest Meltdown. So if we don't get it till the beginning of next week or something like that, forgive us. But we got to go play some Warhammer. <laughs> yeah. So um, hope you like the lore section. I th- This was great. Yeah. This was great. Um, it's nice to get. Uh, this isn't just a fresh perspective. I just didn't know this stuff from before. This is a whole. And I think this is why. Of all of the new books that have come out, we wanted to do this one first, right? Because because we this got is a backlog. New this, yeah. narrative, yeah. Because I mean, honestly, did Slanash ever get his own book before? 
Uh, no. Wasn't it always in? I mean, all the Slanesh was in it, because that was he hasn't gotten one this in Age of Sigmar. He hasn't gotten one at all. Obviously, until this, until this, and back in seventh and eighth and sixth edition, it was Demons of Chaos. Right, he never got his own attention. But then again, none of the other gods did either. No, but they were a little more fleshed out. They got talked about more in some of the stories, and even in some of that, when you read some of the background, um, you know, he was always written off as the new guy, the new kid, uh, just into just into you know overdoing it. Everything's yeah. you know. Um, I think he got a lot more play in 40k because of the Doom of the Eldar. So I think right. there was a more play for him there, but nothing to the extent of this. But I never read that lore until I started reading Horace Heresy stuff, and even then I didn't do that 40k stuff. So I, if that was there, I didn't know about it. So no, because be all it was is was like you know the Eldar engaging in hedonistic activities. Um, and like, well, they birthed him, didn't they? Yeah. Yes. But then because he's a God, he is outside of space and time. So even though he didn't exist until they birthed him, once he came into exist, he existed at all times. It's, yeah, it took me forever to wrap my head around that. Yeah. But that's the stuff that even again, it's just like you engage in hedonistic activities, move on. And Slanesh kind of dropped there. I mean, they had the cult of Slanesh in the old world um, for elves that had given over to Slanesh. Um, then obviously you have like, uh, what are they? Uh, the Emperor's Children in 40k. So you have this kind of stuff, but they never got the attention that I think they rightly deserve. Right. And so I, I can't say enough about this book. Actually, we have said enough for now. So we're gonna yep. we're gonna break here. Uh, hopefully you've enjoyed this half uh, of episode 221, Head Knights of Slanesh Lore. And uh, please tune in uh, for the other half of the episode, uh, episode 221, Head Knights War, as we go to battle with them. All right, we will be back. Enjoy until then. Man, i got to figure out how to end this show. Yeah, that's okay. <laughs>